0: Is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael
1: and Sunny hey, hey, what's going on? Welcome to Growing Up Rock.
2: What's up? How's it going?
1: Hey, Hollywood. Nice <laughs> to talk to you. How's your week been, my friend?
2: Oh, man, I was just traveling for work and, you know, got to make those nickels. But uh, I heard that uh, you might have seen my friend Kelly Hanson from Hurricane.
1: I did see our old friend Kelly Hansen, along with uh, Mr. Jeff Pilson, uh, our old friend from Dawkin. Uh, they're both uh, tying down the reins to uh, Foreigner on tour, um, and I was fortunate enough to catch that show the other night. Uh, great, great triple bill, right? We had Foreigner and uh, Cheap Trick, and Jason Bonham's Led Zeppelin experience. Uh, opened up the whole thing uh, and it was a great time had a really, really cool venue uh, to see that show in. Uh, we have a venue here in Atlanta uh, called Chastain Park and it's a fairly small amphitheater uh, so probably maybe um, 7,000 people, I think um, oh. and yeah. it's um, kind of uh, like a dinner, uh, dinner over candlelight uh, type uh, situation. So, so they they have tables um, down where like the pit would be, right, the front of the stage. They have these tables and people bring um, picnics and wine and. Uh, they set up trays and tablecloths and just all this kind of stuff, which is kind of funny to see in a rock and roll, uh, concert. But at the same time, it's kind of cool because we went with a bunch of friends and we didn't have a table or anything. We were sitting, um, in, uh, one of the orchestra rows. Um, and so when you do that, there's like enough room. Um, in between each row for you to set up like a little like TV tray and coolers and stuff. And so what they do is they let you bring in um, uh, a cooler with food and alcohol and, and everything. It's fantastic.
2: Really? They don't, they're not worried about making concessions?
1: Nothing. No, there's concessions there and you can get concessions if you want. But the whole the whole, uh, vibe of the place is you, you bring like you, people bring a picnic, you bring, you bring a cooler. Um, we had a cooler and we were with two, um, two other couples. And, and so we bought a cooler and everybody else bought a cooler and, and we bought a TV tray and we set up a TV tray and we had, um, uh, boxed wine. So you can't be, can't bring in bottles. Right. Right. Uh, but we had a, a, a box of wine and, um, uh, you know, just food and stuff. You know, we made a picnic. It was fantastic. Um, wow. And we just hung out and talked and had a great time. And uh, the show was great and it sounded great. And um, uh, they were really quick with the set changes. So uh, Jason Bonham uh, started on time. And when it was done, it was probably maybe... 15 minutes in between uh him and uh and Cheap Trick because it was just long enough for me to run to the bathroom and back I mean that's literally by the time I got back to my seat after running the bathroom uh Cheap Trick was coming on um
2: who was singing for Bonham um anybody you know
1: no he's got he's got some band you know it's been his backing band he went out and found these guys and um oh. and they do justice I mean they play it play it perfectly i mean the guy sounds like robert plant but um uh, i don't i don't know any of the
2: people in the band yeah cheap cheap trick it's a slam dunk so did uh mick jones make an appearance or no mick jones was there pretty much the whole night oh well there you go
1: yeah he was he was literally yeah i think he was in on Every song, as far as I know, I don't remember him leaving the stage, uh, at any point, um, to be off stage when the band was on. So no, he was pretty much there. I, we didn't get any special guest. you know, they've been rolling out past members of, of Foreigner, uh, throughout the whole tour, but... Uh, there wasn't any like, you know, the bass player or the keyboard player, or Lou Graham or any of those guys. Nobody showed up uh, for the Atlanta show, but uh, Mick was on stage for pretty much the entire show.
2: Yeah, because what I had heard is when he's there, he's there 100% or he's not there at all. So, he you know, I think he's maybe he's taken a few days off in between or something like that, but.
1: Yeah, maybe. I think originally he was doing uh you know, he wasn't doing the whole show. He was coming out and playing a few songs, but yeah, he was there for the whole show. He looked good and uh played well and uh even sang a song, I think, and um you know, they're just a good solid set. Are, are you a foreigner fan at all?
2: Oh yeah, I'm a huge Foreigner fan. I love Lou Graham's voice, I love all that stuff. I'll tell uh, you I'm a ballad guy. You can't you can't not love Foreigner if you're a ballad guy. I, I can't. I'm not a metal <laughs> guy and I <laughs>
1: love Foreigner. On. Uh yeah, we so we got to we got to um plan a show uh and and do like a Foreigner show sometime in the future. I mean, uh, I like Foreigner a lot, you know. I don't I, I wouldn't necessarily consider them um uh, definitely not a metal band, but I mean, I I think a lot of their music especially for the time would be considered hard rock in my uh in my book, you know.
2: Oh yeah, they 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 are between AOR and hard rock, right? They bounced back and forth, but, you yeah. know, you could say that for Journey. Yeah. You could say that for Sticks. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, yeah. Agreed. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed uh, all three bands. The sets were good. Um, you know, Foreigner didn't, they played a straight-up set. I heard, you know, pretty much everything I want to hear. Maybe a few deeper cuts that I would have enjoyed, but that's all right
2: yeah it's interesting because sometimes when they talk about kelly you know he's bringing newer energy to the band and he's a young guy and he's out the guy is 50 plus (laughs) he is not a 30 year old kid
1: i'll tell you what that yeah um for sure that right and he's not the new guy in the band anymore he's been in that band for a long time and they've got three guitar players so they got two guitar players plus mick and um you know they between uh between the guitar players and Kelly and Pilson, um, they were moving around plenty. I mean, they were covering the stage like a young band. And you know, Pilson's always had great straight uh stage presence. He was he he was one of the best parts of docking in my opinion, just because he sang so well and he was so crazy on stage. He always ran around on stage uh in the early docking uh period of time. So um he, he was fantastic the new guitar players are good and uh, Kelly did a really good job as well
2: that's good I'm glad foreigner's still out there because that's one of those bands you know you hear about they don't have enough you know original members blah 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 my son loves foreigner he just wants to see him and reality is besides Lou Graham and Mick Jones I couldn't name any other member anyway
1: That's because essentially they are foreigner for sure. Right. They're the ones that wrote the tunes. Hey, but, um, that, uh, that episode we did last week on uh, musical ADD. That was, that was a great episode. That was a lot of fun doing that episode,
2: right? Oh yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, all the episodes we've had so far have been really fun.
1: Yeah, so hopefully uh, if you haven't heard that one, you'll go back and check out um, uh, the conversation that Sonny and I get into revolving around our musical ADD. Uh, we, just, we, we last about two seconds nowadays, and then it's on to the next thing, uh, and there's an abundance of it out there. So what's getting missed? I don't know. Uh, But that's it. So um, today, what are we going to get into today? Sonny, do you know what we're getting into today?
2: Yeah, we, uh, really cool idea that you had um, because we all have bands that have some of these like really iconic killer albums, whether it's, you know, most people agree, whether it's just one of your super faves, but then the very next album, is a complete disaster. And uh, when you first came up with the idea, I I had like 10 jump off the page. Like, I love these 10 albums, and then I basically hate the 10 albums that came after it, that kind of thing. So uh, we're going to talk about, you know, basically a killer album followed by a not-so-killer
1: album. Yeah, we could literally, this could actually probably become a series of more than one show. Cause we're just right now, we're just drafting out, uh, five each Sonny and I are going to, uh, pull five, five off the shelf each. And whether it's an iconic record or, or just a record that we really enjoy a lot, like, um, for me, I went back and, and, um, it, 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 it allowed me to go back and listen to some music, um, off of records that I thought, oh, you know, these records were really horrible after the first record was so good. Um, and I'm like, oh, you know what? This this record's not necessarily so as bad as I thought it was. But for whatever reason at the time it came out, it was just kind of a letdown because I loved the album before it so much. So like Sonny said, it's, it's basically we're going to cover some albums that we just love um, and... Uh, Then it was followed up by just a big, huge, stinky pile of shit afterwards. (laughs) 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 That's what we're going to talk about. So uh, agree or disagree or share some of your own personal uh, favorites that were followed up by stink bombs uh, on our Facebook page. Please, by all means, uh, let us know. But that's what we're gonna talk about today uh, so it's gonna be fun to explore and I'm quite sure like I said we could probably uh, come up with another uh, 20 uh, albums after uh, we get done with this one but uh, that's what we're gonna we're gonna jump into um, but before we do that what time is it?
0: It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight.
1: Oh yeah, it's time to crank it up and put the spotlight on a little bit of new music. Sonny, do you know what we're playing today?
2: We are going to play the new song that just got released by the Revolution Saints. Um, What is that? Dean Castronovo, Doug Aldridge, and uh, Jack yep. Blades. yep. And the song is called "Light in the Dark."
1: Sonny, are you? Uh, did you like that first Revolution Saints record?
2: Absolutely loved it, and when the new record comes out on October thirteenth, guess who's reviewing it for Decibel Geek?
1: Oh, there you go, Sonny beat me to the punchline. All right, Sonny. already
2: signed up. Baby.
1: I I figured as much. I figured this was right down your uh, right down your alley, right? Uh, because uh, they they have a good mixture of rock and tunes, and then they do the a lot of the ballad stuff. I mean, for all intents purposes, it's kind of just a little bit heavier version of Journey, maybe, right?
2: Yeah, and you know, I tell people that uh, you know, there's a bunch of people waiting for Damian Yankees to come back. This is just as good, really. You know, Dean Castranovo's not Tommy Shaw. Okay, I get that. Yeah. But uh Doug Aldridge <laughs> is the man. Yeah. I know everybody loves Ted Nugent. Doug Aldridge is the man. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, this is good stuff. It's a perfect blend of, like, AOR and melodic hard rock. I love it.
1: Yeah, all right, let's get into it. Light in the Dark, New Revolution Saints.
2: Yeah, I love that switch off lead vocal band. When you have two great lead singers, and you know, I know when Paul and Gene do it, I love it. Like, I just, those bands just, uh, they just have this different flavor. That nobody else can have because they can do that.
1: Yeah, for sure, and that's one of the things I, I you know, that's that's like a constant thing with uh, with Jack Blades, right? I mean, he does it in Night Ranger, he did it in Damn Yankees, he's doing it in Revolution Saints. I mean, um, Jack likes uh, having uh, a second singer in his projects, right?
2: I mean, and in my opinion, I love I-, I love Night Ranger. I-, I grew up with Night Ranger, I've seen them tons of times. They're a Bay Area band, love them. Me too. But in my opinion, every one of those bands, Jack Blades was the second best singer in all those bands.
1: Well, you right. Know, so
2: even the even the singer he had with him was really better than he was.
1: Well, and he'll tell you that. He says that oftentimes. I mean, he'll tell you all the time that that um, uh, Kelly Keegi is a better singer than he is. Um, and you know, I mean, I haven't heard him uh, comment about Tommy, but uh, you know, it's just. Uh, he's he's not afraid to say that and, and jack's not a bad singer i like jack's voice i like jack's oh, yeah, character yeah. jack has a great character on stage he's fun
2: oh yeah yeah and those guys <laughs> i saw them when i saw him on the uh monsters of rock cruise in 2015 night ranger was on the uh night ranger was on the cruise and a lot of these cruises they'll have like uh off bands so it just so happened that like uh entire alice cooper band was on the ship because they were in different bands now right so they go to a club and play alice cooper songs who shows up jack blades brad gillis then there's some other offshoot trivia thing who's there jack blades brad gillis i'm like these guys sleep like they're everywhere
1: that's cool that's real (laughs) cool do you have any brushes with
2: those guys uh no i've never met them uh i'm actually not a major like meet your heroes fan I, I've been lucky a couple of times to meet some great people but I'm really afraid that if I meet somebody I really like and they're not cool that I'll kind of lose interest And in. so I'm not a big like meet celebrity which guy. is
1: interesting to me because your ass won't hesitate to reach out to another podcast to talk to
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know those guys I've been <laughs> listening to them for 25 years <laughs>
1: Hey, it's Sonny Pony, Jack Blade's <laughs> new best
2: friend. If he has a podcast, maybe I'll call him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, let's let's get into this because we'll be here all night otherwise. So I'm going to let you kick this off. Um, you're gonna you're gonna give me a um, a record you absolutely loved, and then uh, the follow up piece of crap that you had to uh, uh, fight to find a song for us to play for the listeners here tonight <laughs> <laughs> off it. So, so what do you got first up for us?
2: All right. So real quick, you know, you kind of said, you know, whether the audience will agree or disagree, I will tell you that when we go through these choices, we don't exactly agree or disagree uh, or agree with each other. So that, that'll be interesting. Um, the five great albums I picked were all in my top 25 of all time so wow. um and then that's, they laid an egg right? i
1: can't that's i can't crazy. say that i can't i i definitely can't say that the the records that i'm going to be presenting today are all in my top 25 that's not, that's not it but you you hit on an important point which is um a, and i've i've heard some of the other folks um joey over at rocks rocks strikes 10 podcast uh, which you guys should go and check out if you can. But um, he has a, a great way of putting it, which is this is our musical journey. So this is how how we feel uh, about these records. So agree or disagree, that's that's uh, up for you guys to decide. But again, that's something that we like about music, which is the, the opinions are your opinions. Um, so, hey, we welcome all feedback, and we would love for you guys to get in on it. Like uh, like the show says, everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell, so tell us yours. Uh, these, these records and these songs probably mean something to us because uh, they were part of um, our history when we were growing up and, and getting into a lot of this music. So uh, those are great points to make um and with that go ahead sorry to interrupt yeah. by the way
2: oh no problem and then one last thing i'll also preface it by saying i give all, i give every album a chance so some of those albums that maybe people you know some fans don't like out there uh example poison's native tongue or kisses unmasked or alice cooper's trash or fraley Comet's second sighting i actually like those albums so you know it's not as simple as uh you know this they're They're not, you know, that I don't like non-popular albums. I only like popular albums. I actually like some of the deep stuff. So the first one we're going to go with is one of the best albums I own. Top five, no doubt. And it's by Extreme and it's Porno Graffiti. I absolutely love that album. It was fantastic. Uh, Great. Fantastic. And I love Extreme. I've seen them several times. I saw the 25th anniversary of this tour when they played the album front to back. Nuno is one of my favorite guitarists. I even saw Sharon with Van Halen, it was good. So, um, the album is just so polished after the first album kind of being raw. This album was a little more polished. It was, you know, it was all about love and party and rebellion. And, you know, I had, you know, I know it had more than words and wholehearted, but I'll tell you that when I introduce people to Extreme, I don't play those two songs. What
1: What's I'll your play favorite some, song
2: off that record? Um, my favorite songs probably "He-Man Woman Hater." Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. I just love the the guitar riff. But like when I introduce this album to people, I'll have, I'll have them listen to "Decadence Dance" or Never. something like that, or "When I'm President," which is a little bit off, or um, you know, one of those songs. Mo- "Monster" then, is
1: one of my favorites.
2: Oh yeah, it's a monster. It's a yeah. good song. Um, and then tell them, these are the guys that did more than words. right? So absolutely love that album. Well, two years later, technically 25 months, they released three sides of every story. And the way this thing was supposed to come out was one side was the story about yours, One one is your story, one is my story, one is the truth. That's how they're trying to do this concept thing. And like the first song on Pornograffiti, which is Decadent Dance, is about dancing. But the first song on three sides was Warheads, and it was about war. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And then the political statements started. And I just don't need political statements in my music. And the melodies aren't as good. Like the guitar solos are there. The backing vocals are there. The riffs are there. Gary sounds great. The musicianship's there but the melodies and the subject matter just completely turned me off and then I'm like okay they're going to have to do another more than words they're going to have to do another wholehearted so they did 7 Sundays and God Isn't Dead and they're honestly just horrible so I'm <laughs> telling how you really so, feel <laughs> I was so disappointed I was so disappointed so they went from raw in 89 to polished in the middle of 90 to political at the end of 92 and they just completely lost me
3: yeah
1: I don't, I don't um, feel as strongly about about this record as you do although I must say when it did when it first came out I did feel as strongly as you do but uh, over time it's it's sank in with me a little bit and I've grown to like quite a bit of a, off this record but it's a completely different record than porno graffiti so
2: yeah and then uh, you know it just for some reason, none of their albums after this even really did it for me. I just kind of got lost at porno graffiti. Now, I will tell you, because of all the talent they have, the album is listenable. It's not painful to listen to. It's only painful for me because I i kind of think about what could have been, right? It just God just do porno graffiti too, and I would have been so happy, you know. But uh that's okay. I guess everybody's gotta grow at some point. And then this is also that time frame, ninety ninety-two. right where you're gonna find that
1: theme throughout a lot of a lot of tonight's selection it's it's all like 92 93 91 where i you know i know the musical landscape started changing but shit some of these records changed too
2: yeah yeah so through all of you know my disappointment there is a song that is worth listening to on this album and there's a couple and uh they actually play it live a lot and uh the song that we're gonna spin for you is called cupid's dead
1: i like it yeah it's, it's a good song it, it really is yeah, man. it's it's catchy that's one of the ones i did like off that record uh but yeah i get it uh and i and i don't disagree with you so um all right fair enough on to me all right so okay i'm gonna go a little bit deeper I'm going to talk about Arcade, uh, which was the, uh, fresh off of his, uh, rat success, Stephen Piercy's sideband, uh, that he left rat and put together with Fred Corey from, uh, Cinderella and also, um, uh, I guess the guy's name uh, was Wessick and he was in a band called Sea Hags, which uh, I think they put out one hard rock record back in the 80s. Uh, I remember hearing about them. I just don't know a whole lot about the Sea Hags, uh, but that was the guitar player in Arcade. Um, and there were several other people that were in and out of that project, but, um, when it came down to it, it was about Piercy and, uh, Fred Corey. Um, and I thought the debut record, uh, was really good with nothing to lose and, um, it had several other good songs on it as well, but I thought the first arcade record, um, was quite good. Um, and it came out in uh, 92, and of course, like I just said, right, the, the musical landscape in 92 was changing greatly. Um, and it sold 100,000 copies, uh, and then they waited for a couple of years to put out another follow-up. And the follow-up they put out was um, really cleverly titled A2, Hey man, they must have put a lot of thought into that. Uh, <laughs> that's but, marketing, baby. Man, that's marketing. Damn those guys, they're they're geniuses. Anyway, it was called A two, and uh, just just to tell you the difference, okay? It sold twenty thousand copies versus the the um, uh, hundred thousand. Which neither one of them are, are huge selling records. I get that. Um, and, you know, given the time, uh, but AT was really an awful record. It was their attempt at becoming heavier, um, kind of a heavier band. Uh, I'll use the term grungier, um, but it was just not good. Uh, Fred Corey left the band. Um, and you know, it just, I don't know. I hated it. I tried to find some redeeming quality. There's one song, the song I'm going to play, which, um, I thought was the closest to the first arcade record and kind of somewhere in between arcade and rat, um, uh, that I could find. Um, and it's, it's a reasonable tune. I mean, it's no brilliant piece of songwriting, but Hey, you know, that's not really their thing. So, um, what's your take on on arcade
2: uh i bought the first record i have it uh i like nothing to lose i like screaming sos my problem is Stephen Piercy. that's just honest i i love rat out of the cellar there's not five other rat songs i like
1: which is and, crazy to me like yeah. i don't i can't even get that like invasion of your privacy was so freaking good
2: yeah that could have those two could ended up on my list wow that's nuts. Right? And I think it's just Piercy's voice. There there was better singers in the 80s. And with Vince Neal and Piercy, those two I just had a problem with because I'm like, man, they're such better singers. And I think this music would be so much better. But then you know their flavor kind of added the mixture that was Rat. I get that too. And I love Out of the Cellar so much. And I can listen to front to back. But there is not another Rat album or anything else Steven's done that I can do that with. Wow.
1: And it's interesting you talk about singers and this will be an episode for another time because you're 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 definitely a singer kind of guy but yet you sit here and you tell me you saw Cinderella 14 times. Come on, <laughs> yeah. man.
2: That's cuz of who they were playing with. I right? the Badlands and David Lee Roth and you know, I'm a guitarist guy too, but yeah, I know. All
1: right. So, we'll get into your um your ill-fated misconceptions in in what you like and don't like (laughs) at a later time all right so we're gonna play a song called hot racing off of off of the awesomely titled (laughs) a2 uh, that came out in 94 so here you go hot racing
2: That song's not bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can bad. stomach that song, right?
2: Yeah, that, that's not bad.
1: All right. There you go. We got through it. Well, yeah. We're, we're, none the, we're none the worse. We've, we've made it through. We've made it through two uh, shitty follow-up records. So on to number two.
2: <laughs> What's your number two? All right. So my number two is Bullet Boys. So um, we're going to talk about the, the debut and then Freak Show. So the debut – um, if the listeners don't own <clears throat> the first Bullet Boys record, you absolutely got to go get it. It is, in my opinion, one of the best debut albums in the hard rock genre. In, it came out in September of 88, and there is some Unbelievable songs
1: on that album. If you don't own the first Bullet Boys and you're a listener, then chances are you probably shouldn't be a listener. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw that out there because (laughs) what the hell? What are you sleeping under a rock? For God's sake. Get out there and get (laughs) that first Bullet Boys record. It's amazing.
2: And it's a great record, right? And they were supposed to be, you know, the new Van Halen, blah, blah, blah. And and, you know, they probably came a little late to the party and we'll probably have an episode on that because we're talking about eighty eight. But not not you know. There's ten songs on the album. There's no ballads. They're just all just punch you right in the face, and it is an incredible album in yeah. my opinion.
1: Uh, I agree a hundred percent. One of definitely one of my favorite debut records. Um, love, love, loved that first Bullet Boys record so much, uh, and saw them in concert a few times and uh, had some. Uh, um, some rock and roll brushes with some of those guys, which um, we'll get into in other episodes. But um, yeah, that first Bull Boys record's a great record.
2: And then we get Freak Show. So vocals, in my opinion, were the same. Great vocals, same producers, same band members. Maybe it's that you have forever to write your first album, but you only got well. It was two and a half years before their second album. Maybe it's a sophomore jinx, but Even the first song, Hell Yeah, it just didn't start out as fast and hard, as hard as a rock did. And then, in my opinion, it just kind of went downhill. And it was interesting because I'm listening to it going, man, that production is like tinny. The the guitars sound like they're kind of in a can. The snare drums sound weird. Then I went back and listened to the first album, and actually the production is exactly the same. So, it's the songwriting on the second album that kind of pronounced my dislike for the production, if that makes sense. It's odd that it does it that way. But it just, the first al- album just had so much more energy, so much more enthusiasm, had that, we are here, you're going to have to deal with us. And then this freak show just had zero oomph to me. And the songwriting's not memorable.
1: I think that they were trying to progress as a band I thought I think they were maybe tired of getting the whole van Halen comparison and um, which in my opinion there's a lot worse bands you could be compared to but but anyway uh, so I think they were trying to um, uh, trying to be artist um, and when you know, sometimes when you do that, you get a little full of yourself. I also think that there was probably a lot of um, marijuana smoking going on at the time that they did this record. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah, you, and, they, that's you get.
2: and they just completely lost me. And it's not, the album's not completely unlistenable, because there's some songs like Hang On to St. Christopher, THC Groove is listenable. Um, my favorite song on it the one that we're going to spin is actually Talk to Your Daughter and it was actually a cover by JB Lenoir. I have never heard of that guy. Um, but uh, the song reminds me of Ice Cream Man so it's interesting that you know they got the Van Hill comparisons it kind of sounds like Ice Cream Man and it was memorable to me, right? Where none of the other songs really were. So the song mm-hmm. we're going to spin is Talk to mm-hmm. Your Daughter. Talk to
1: I don't um, I like that song. I don't I don't hate this record as much as you do, Sonny. I mean, it definitely was a different record than the first debut record of the Bullet Boys uh, and definitely, in my opinion, not as good as that first record, not anywhere even close, but I, I still enjoyed quite a few uh, tunes off this record, but that's just me.
2: Yeah, just, you know, my ex- my expectations were high, I guess, right, because I, I, I overloved probably the first album, and then it takes two and a half years, right, and then it's like, oh, come on, really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> So the record, the next record I'm going to talk about is from a Swedish band called Shotgun Messiah. Um, Shotgun Messiah's record. Uh, they had three records out. They put a well, first one out in 89, which was really, really good. Uh, just straight ahead, kind of glam metal uh, type stuff. And um, in between uh, that and the second record, Second Coming, uh, which was awesome, uh, the lead singer, uh, Zinny Zan, great name, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> he leaves the band, and the bass player, Tim Tim, which is Tim Scold, takes over uh, the vocals. They bring in another bass player, an American bass player, to pick up uh, pick up the bass. Um, and second coming, I thought was a fantastic record. I thought it had awesome tunes. One of, one of my favorite songs, uh, is the lead off track, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, it's just a barn burner. It's a killer song. I love that song. And so I thought second coming had a lot of good music straight, straight through and through just good hard rock music. Um, and then Uh, the times they are a changing, right? So, (laughs) so time changes, uh, a couple years go by and the band puts out this record called Violent Breed. And it's literally like if shotgun Messiah wasn't on the cover of that, you would never know that it was the same band. Um, They get mixed up in the industrial side of things, and Violent Breed is straight up just an industrial metal record. I mean, it literally, it sounds like Nine Inch Nails meets Marilyn Manson. That's what the record sounds like. And after Second Coming, it's so much of a turn. I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, there's, there's some songs on it that I can listen to, but... If I want to listen to that, then I'll put on a Nine Inch Nails record or a Marilyn Manson record. I don't need to get that from Shotgun Messiah, who two years previous were wearing spandex and had their hair teased up to the sky. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Because I own the Second Coming record, and I really liked Heartbreak Boulevard and yep. Free. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a Violent Breed record. So I went and checked it out. <laughs> I listened to about five minutes of it total, skipping around, and I'm like, "That's a hard listen to me."
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a hard listen. I yeah. mean, it's it's heavy. If you're into heavy industrial, and check it out. But I mean, it's not you know. Don't go listening to the first couple of records and then go listen to Violent Breed, uh, you know, because it's just completely different. The first two records, man. I mean, I thought they were an underrated band. Like I really liked those first two records. They sounded great. Um, the songs are great for the time. I mean, I, I dig, uh, the first two records, but yeah, violent breeds a hard listen and very, very rarely gets played. So I had to search high and low to find a song on there that I wanted to play for people that I was like, okay, what's a reasonable transition. And, Still a little bit industrial, but not as heavy industrial as some of the other songs on there. So uh, I went all the way down to almost the end of uh, the record, and one of the final uh, tunes on the record is a song straight up called "Sex," which you know that's always good. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's what we're gonna play off this Violent Breed record is a song called "Sex." Here you go. Enjoy.
2: So, the subject matter on point. I don't like that song. That song is not good.
1: Fair enough. At least the subject matter is good. There you go. The
2: subject matter is awesome.
1: All right. God's sakes, we got that going for us. Hi. Right. What's up for you?
2: All right. So, we are going to go to uh, LA Guns. So, Cocked and Loaded, which came out in August of 89, is actually my favorite L.A. Guns album. And in my opinion, 14 awesome tracks. Like, uh, this is the dictionary definition of L.A. sleaze rock to me, Cocked and Loaded was. And just aggressive, confident songwriting, you could tell they grew from the first album, the uh, the self titled Ellie Guns album. You could tell on the first album, like with songs like Sex Action and Electric Gypsy and No Mercy, that there was something there but it wasn't quite polished. And man, they polished it in less than really well, in less than two years, to this awesome album. And uh, I don't this album went gold. I'm surprised it didn't sell more, because Ellie Guns is not exactly uh well, I guess they are a club band, but they did have a following. Do you like this album?
1: Yeah, I would not say I'm a huge Ellie Guns fan, but but I would definitely uh, tell you that I enjoyed Cocked and Loaded. I thought that was uh, uh, probably their best record by far. Um, but then um, I think I know where you're going with this. The follow-up to that was uh, was was Hollywood Vampire, if
2: memory serves me correctly. So, yeah, and. And I don't like Hollywood vampires really at all, right? There was uh, three – I think there's one good song. It's over now. Yeah. And uh, um, and that hit the hot 100. They got more bluesier. The aggressiveness left. Here comes the keyboards. And I don't mind keyboards. I think keyboards are great. There's tons of songs I listen to that got keyboards in them.
1: Dude, we all know that about you. Come on. Yeah. Man. When you're slow I dancing with your the, wife and
2: yeah. – I'm just not sure I want keyboards in my L.A. sleaze rock, right? It just didn't work, right? And they had the same songwriters, no lineup changes, but two year, it wasn't even two years, and all of a sudden it's just not the same aggressive band. And there's some songs that are listenable on this. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Kiss My, uh, Kiss my Love Goodbye, Dirty Love, um, It's Over Now. Um, But the one that we're going to spin is actually um, Some Lie for Love. It was actually a single. The single didn't do very well, uh, but uh, it's actually a really good song. It's called Some Lie for Love.
1: listenable i still yeah. i still think there's a couple others that i maybe prefer a little bit more but it's 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 definitely listenable so
2: and what's amazing is michael james jackson produced hollywood vampires so you know this same guy did lick it up like you would think that like this album be heavier right i was surprised it just wasn't yeah I but either. i will tell you i've seen this guys live several times They have never let me down, and thank God they don't do a lot of songs off of Hollywood Vampires, so that's
3: okay.
1: Yeah, I I can't say that I've ever been a a really huge fan. I've seen them a few times. I think Hollywood Vampires, uh, that was literally when when Tracy was on his way out the door, right?
2: I mean, that was the last record he did with them, right? I'm not sure if it was the last record, but he was on the way out. They were starting... They're about to have lineup changes, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but that's that's it's all good. Uh, so so I'm up, um, and let's uh, let's talk about Blue Murder. So, Blue Murder debut record, right? Blue Murder, John Sykes, coming out of White Snake, um, with Carmine a piece. Um, and they put together this somewhat of a super group, right? Because it's, it's John Sykes, it's Tony Franklin, um, and it's Carmine Peace. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's a super group. Uh, and that first debut record, man, <laughs> that first debut record sounded so good. The guitars, in the mix, and I, I loved this record from from the first note I heard on that Blue Murder record. I thought it was awesome. Um, what What do you think, Sonny? Did you like that first Blue Murder record?
2: Loved it. I am a huge believer that White Snake slided in in '87 that put them on the map. If John Sykes isn't involved, you wouldn't even know who David Coverdale is. That's just my opinion. And so when they came out with blue murder, when I heard jelly roll and riot, I was like, wow, here we go. Now this should have been a white snake album. Yeah. No, right. So I, whew, I love that album.
1: No doubt. I mean, I don't know if I agree about the whole David Coverdale thing, but definitely that record broke white snake in the States for sure. Um, that put them on the map without a doubt. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about going back and forth with uh, Sykes getting the credit that he deserved on that record. And, uh, you know, there's been some ugly uh, mudslinging in the press by both of those guys, I guess, uh, over that record. And, uh, you know, John John Sykes, he's, he's, no, uh, he's no angel. He's had his problems uh, for sure. Um, he's been in and out of a couple of situations, and uh, I know that uh, he's had some Habits that were uh, not conducive to being in a band. So. Uh, but hey, when he's on, he's on. He's a, a good player and a good singer. And um, Originally, they, uh, they had talked about getting uh, Ray Gillian in uh, Blue Murder to sing. Um, and I don't know if you knew that or not, but he was one of the original singers that they had uh, kind of marked for that band.
2: Yeah, didn't he, he demoed some of the songs, didn't he?
1: He actually demoed some of the songs. And then um, the A&R guy, which was John Clodner over at Geffen. And um, uh, our listeners, uh, if you're not familiar with John Clodner, he, he had a lot to do with um, Aerosmith's success um, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, he's been in several of their videos. He's kind of the goofy-looking guy with the long beard uh and he's just uh he's a huge a and r guy i mean he's he's signed a lot of bands that have gone on to be huge and um he's he's just done you know he's he's kind of a uh, legend in the industry uh so to speak um but uh he's the one that basically pulled john sykes aside and said hey uh hey you know why don't you uh take on singing uh, and so John Sykes demoed some of the material where he sang it and, um, uh, you know, he talked John into just taking double duty and doing the guitar player and, and singing. And, and, you know, I think John Sykes does a great job at singing, uh, these songs. Um, have you seen, have you seen some of the YouTube videos where John Sykes is singing some of the White Snake stuff?
2: Oh, I've seen that, and I have an album. There's a, There was an album that John Sykes released. I think it was an import. It's called Bad Boy Live, uh-huh. and he sings Crying in the Rain, Bad Boys, yep. We All Fall Down, Jelly Roll Is This Love. It's a great live album.
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, so he does a good job. I mean, uh, definitely when the dude is on, he's on. Um, and I I, I got to tell you, his guitar sound on record, probably one of my favorite guitar sounds on record. I don't, I don't know whether it's the way he records or the way the equipment he's using or what. I'm not 100% sure. But man, it sounds so good. The guitars sound so thick and so full on, on anything that he plays on. I mean, I just really, really dig his sound on record. So, loved everything about the Blue Murder debut. They wait a couple of years. The debut comes out in 89. There, there's that theme that we talked about. Um, 89, debut comes out. They wait to put out a day, uh, the follow-up till 93, right, right in the midst of nobody wants to hear any of that kind of crap in 93, um, except for us that are into it. But uh, they put out this Nothing But Trouble CD, uh, which was the follow-up record. And it had like, uh, I don't know, 12, 15 songs on it nowhere near as good. A uh, huge, huge disappointment. Now, I'll honestly say that this is a record that I went back and listened to recently while I was doing research for this. So I went back and listened to it rec- uh, recently, and there are probably five redeemable songs on it, so not a complete waste of time. There are five tunes on that record that I that I actually like, um, but All in all, overall, yeah. Nowhere near close to the debut. Um, So have you had the opportunity to listen to this record, Sonny?
2: Yeah, and you're a better man than me because I think there's only three redeemable songs on it. The one you picked to play, We All Fall Down and Love Child. Those are the only three I like. I I like dancing. Oh, okay. And I will tell you my guess. This is an educated guess because I, I fell into the trap. I bought everything John Sykes released, all his solo stuff. He had a album called Nuclear or Something, Archangel. he had like four or five solo albums. All four or five of those solo albums put together, I like three songs. <laughs> so there's something in the recipe that he has to have at a certain point in time and it's unbelievable greatness. When that, when one piece, one one, either the sugar or the flour, something's missing in that recipe, it's terrible.
1: And or heroin. Oh wait, did I just whatever. say that? Whatever. Oops, my yeah, bad. maybe.
2: <laughs> right, and you know, I um, this is kind of selfish. My, one of my favorite bands is the Winery Dogs, and I do, I think I dodged a bullet because he was supposed to be the Richie Cotson of that band, and for whatever reason, uh, it didn't work out with him in Portnoy and that's how they got Richie Cottons. Other, Cotton otherwise it was going to be Sykes, Cotton and Sheehan.
1: Yeah, you're right. In fact, they went on Eddie Trunk's show at one point in time uh Portnoy and uh Sykes to talk about it. And Yeah. You know, from what I understand um and this is this is a whole getting off off base here, but from what I understand uh Portnoy uh is not an easy person to work with either. So He's been he's been in and out of uh, several different projects and and things like that too. But I heard he's not the easiest individual to work with either. So I don't know. Could be any combination of things. Chemistry is either right or it's wrong, and obviously it was not right for that.
2: Yeah, and I think chemistry is important, right? So, uh, like in in my opinion, like Bon Jovi's a great example. John Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora worked together. They wrote some great songs together. I'm not a big fan of the solo Bon Jovi stuff. I'm not a big fan of the solo Sambora stuff. Yeah. So the recipe together tastes great, but separate, it's not so great.
1: Uh, yeah. That's a lot of things, you know. Definitely a lot of things. All right. On to me. Uh, no. No. You got to pick already- a
2: song off this album
1: huh oh yeah that's right we got off base that's how lost we are <laughs> back on track that's what i get it's for, late that's right it <laughs> is late all right so the the one of the redeemable songs on this uh nothing but trouble record for blue murder i'm gonna pull out and play this is cry for love Now that could have been flat out on a White Snake record, right?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yeah, that, I, yeah. That's one of the three songs I think are listenable on that album for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that definitely. I mean, I could have heard that song on on uh, the '87 White Snake, right?
2: Yeah, no
1: doubt. All right, cool. On to you now. We're now we're back on track.
2: All right, back on track. So we're gonna talk about the Scorpions uh, now every Scorpions fan just said, hey, wait a second, you're talking about the Scorpions? You better not say anything bad about my Scorpions. We're talking
1: well, about the Teutonic Terror.
2: Scorpions <laughs> from Germany. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on stage, all I ever heard was, we are, the we are the Scorpions! That's all I remember. Yeah, that's all I remember. It's awesome. Um, so, Love It First Thing. Absolute one of my favorite albums. It was the soundtrack of my life between 84 and 86. I played that album i played that tape down to the bone several times um dirty riffs aggressive but melodic it was all over mtv i mean rock you like a hurricane easily i'm getting shivers telling you it was every half hour right every half hour
1: dude put the on a coat if you're getting shivers
2: <laughs> no just just so excited about this i just love this album it is right? a it good was, record it, unbelievable album and the one before it right blackout is one of the scorpions classics
1: so so blackout, blackout was to me what what um love at first sting was for you cuz cuz i was a little bit earlier right so blackout right. blackout was my love at first sting blackout was was the shit
2: for me yeah and both those albums are great and uh both hit the top 20 on billboard love at first thing sold 4 million copies like there's no doubt love at first sting is an incredible album and hardcore scorpions fans would tell you that's where it ended for them because the next album savage amusement which actually did better on billboard and was still platinum and they were at the height of their popularity here because love it first thing came out at the beginning of 84 but it lasted three years they were still releasing singles And Savage Amusement came out in April of 88. And my guess is it went platinum just on name recognition alone because people were so looking forward to it. And the album is just less aggressive. I mean, it feels like the guitars got muffled instead of in your face. The songs all went mid-tempo. There's a lot of reverb on basically everything. Some of the stuff almost sounds like power pop. Passion rules the game is Baroo tall like i was like oh my god what happened
1: that's actually one of the songs that i can stomach off a savage (laughs) music
2: man um and then even when they had me like you get later into the record like we let it rock you let it roll and i'm like the verse okay here we go they're back and then here comes a chorus and i'm just like damn (laughs) what happened um it has the vocals. It has the guitar solos. It's got it's got all those things you would think a Scorpion album should have, except it's just not aggressive. Except it's shitty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they released a bunch of uh, singles off this thing. Rhythm of Love went to, it was number 75 in the Hot 100. Believe in Love was on the rock charts. Thank God Passion Rules of Game didn't chart. Um but yeah, they just kind of lost me, and uh, it's unfortunate because I haven't really enjoyed any Scorpion album after Love and First Day. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, I mean that was definitely their last huge one. There's been there's a there's been redeemable stuff on every record that they put out. I mean, in my opinion, I can usually find I can usually find something redeemable on each one of the records. But I mean, in terms of front to back. Uh, Love it, Love it. First thing was probably the last front to back one that they put out that I thought was
2: really good. Yeah. So the one song on Savage Amusement that I thought was the closest to Love It First Thing or Blackout is the one we're gonna spin, and it is called Love on the Run. Get your mode running. have it yeah see that one's not bad and uh, i've seen scorpion live scorpions live after this time frame i've seen them within the last probably 10 years a couple of times those guys have unbelievable energy on stage they just they have so much material they don't really have to play a lot of savage amusement stuff right they they play deep tracks old stuff uh usually rhythm of love gets played sometime passion rules the game gets played but really besides that they stay away from this album anyway
1: yeah, I can do without all their ballads. I wish they would just play. I wish they would just play "Animal Magnetism," "Love Drive," and "Blackout" in their entirety, and, and call it a day. <laughs> that would make me happy. But anyway, uh, so so now we're gonna get into um a band that that Sonny hates. So if you don't like my my take on this next band, um, then send your hate mail to Sonny because <laughs> he doesn't like them at all. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Rush. All right. Okay. So here's the deal. I'm a Rush fan. I like Rush a lot. Um, but I don't love everything Rush has done. And I prefer older Rush like a lot of people do. Um, I, that being said, there's still, I like Rush through all their periods. Um, it's just some some of the stuff It's taken time for me to catch up with. Like, you know, just maturity on on my part more or less right um so when you're 16 you feel differently than when you're when you're 32 or in my case 50 but but um moving pitchers epic record right turning point for that band for for uh in a lot of ways right uh some people point to 2112 as being the the turning point for the band and that also was a turning point for the band but Uh, moving pictures was an epic record. That record, uh, broke the band, um, in a huge way. Um, and I love it. I mean, it's, it's a great record front to back. I saw the tour, I don't know, a few, few years back where they played, um, moving pictures in, in its entirety. Um, but moving pictures, they started to sort of hint towards the future. So with Moving Pictures, you got uh, a little bit more keyboard sounds here and there, Um, still a flat-out rock record, Um, but you could kind of see where the band was headed. So Moving Pictures gets released. It's huge. They're on the road for forever and a day uh I mean they played every place two or three times on that Moving Pictures tour probably um and a lot of their time at soundcheck was spent working on new material for the next Rush record um and they demoed up a lot of stuff on the road but they were also getting into technology and keyboards um, and so you have to look at the time, uh, computers were starting to come around that time, um, and things were progressing from a te- technological standpoint, things were progressing quite a bit and rush rush. They always like to be on that, on that cusp of, of new experimentation. Uh, and so they put out signals and I. I went out and got signals on the first day it came out. After having moving pictures and and um, had moving pictures for so long, and they were on the road forever, and it took them forever to put out signals, and they finally put it out. I got it um, on sale at Kmart the first day it came out. Put it on. It's like what the hell is this? <laughs> the first thing on is subdivisions, and I said oh gosh I hope it gets better. Nope didn't get no better and just it was horrible 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 for me as a Rush fan listening to Signal's record. Did not like it. Didn't like anything off of it. Listened to it probably two three times. Tried to love it. Hated it. And it went in the drawer for a long, long time. Um, and then, of course, you get older. Your tastes change a little bit. You go back. You try to listen to it. And I did that several times over in different periods of time. Um, and finally, now I can honestly say at the ripe old age of 50, <laughs> I now can appreciate some of the stuff on that record. And I own the record. And I like some of the stuff on it. I appreciate for the time it is, but that is not my personal Rush, like. So, that's 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 my take on on uh, signals.
2: Wow. Well, that means in three years I'm going to be the biggest Rush fan ever because I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> and tell uh, how, Rush,
1: tell us how you love Rush.
2: Yeah. So. Unbelievable musicians, virtuosos, great at their craft, Um, just an amazing band. I just don't get it. I've never been a prog rock fan. I classify these guys as prog rock. I never got Pink Floyd. I never got Yes. Maybe it's the three years, right? I really got into music, 84, 85, 86. So maybe it's just I kind of missed it a little bit. Tom Sawyer, I can listen to. I know that song. Gee, getty lee, yeah getty lee i gotta get him in doses yeah i could say i like him more than stephen piercy but then they don't have an out of the cellar i listen to all the time either yeah um so i went man- back and looked at what rush albums i have i have three i have 2112 i have moving pictures and i've rolled the bones i don't know how i got rolled the bones but that's the only three i have
1: now, there you go. So maybe this is one of those bands that'll age with time like you do, and maybe you'll go back and discover it and dig some of it. You never know. I mean, that's kind of how we are, right? We change and our tastes change. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll take a documentary or maybe it'll take something you hear on the radio to kind of pique your interest and you'll go back and discover some of that stuff. You never know. But that's how it is. So um, I am going to play. Um, a little ditty called Analog Kid.
2: That song's pretty good. Okay, that song's pretty good. There you go. I can tell you, I loved, I loved the Hall of Fame speech. The blah 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 yeah. <laughs> blah 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 blah. <laughs>
1: they're loved funny the guys. Hall of Fame speech.
2: Yeah, they're hilarious. They're yeah.
1: Definitely funny guys. So I and like, I
2: did see them live once. I saw them live once.
1: They're good, right?
2: Um, uh, they were good, but I, I think I left before the show was over.
1: Yeah. So, Analog Kid goes with the whole technological thing. So, this kind of goes with the theme and the times. So, there you go.
2: All right. So, my last pick, I saved the worst for last.
1: Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So.
1: Do we have to even talk about this?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, let's go with my fave. So, Motley Crue 94 with John Karabi lead vocals. In my opinion, is one of the most underrated Hard rock bands, uh hard rock albums in my lifetime. I absolutely love that album.
1: Which let and, me let me stop you there. Let me just stop you yeah. there and interrupt for a minute, Sonny, because I know where you're going with this, and this is this is what's going to be pretty humorous because this is this just hit me just now, right? So um you're talking about uh Motley's 94 record with Karabi, which was which was the follow-up to Dr. Feel Good, right? Right. Okay. So you realize that for a lot of people, this would be the follow-up record to uh, Dr. Feelgood that would be a big heaping pile of crap.
2: Totally understand. Now, I
1: I am with you in in armed forces that this record is absolutely 150% amazing. So you and I both feel the same way about this record. So sorry I had to interject that, but continue.
2: (laughs) and karabi i've just enjoyed everything he's done uh everything including the new dead daisies including his solo stuff seen him live a couple of times just and i saw this i saw this tour in uh 90 late 94 and i thought motley was amazing now the place was half empty um and i get it people want their vince and i'm a huge shout at the devil fan um and doctor feel good okay six million people can't be wrong it sold six million copies but to me, it was hit and miss, right? Some of it became a little too mainstream. It was more kind of mainstream rock instead of like rebel rock, like Shout of the Devil was. And it was kind of like that sleaze blues that Motley Crue does sometimes. But it was a number one album, right? And they signed a $25 million deal with Electra and then dropped 94 Motley Crue, and it was a commercial flop. So the record company goes back and says, look, you got to fire Karabi, and you got to bring Vince back. Like, we got... We paid you $25 million. Like, you got to bring Vince back. There's no way around that. So they bring Vince back. So three years span this record, and Generation Swine is released and immediately goes to number 10. I can't believe it. I, I can't handle 10 minutes of this album. Like, they're extremely painful to listen to it again to do research for this show. Like, just... And I texted you, and I'm like, do we have to play a song off? (laughs) What if you can't find one? And I get it. I'm bashing on Motley Crue, but usually I can find one or two songs I like, even in the later albums. Like, I liked uh, Saints of Los Angeles. I love that track. I thought it was a good track. I thought it was funny, actually.
1: This record Uh, really just is
2: awful. Yeah, (laughs) and it's just just they're trying to be more punk, right? It's kind of came off a little more punk, and then – so I remember, I'm like, oh, yeah, Shout's on this album. Okay, so they redid a classic. You can't screw up a classic. Oh, my God. If you listen to Shout 97, you cry. They ruined a classic. I couldn't believe it. And I just, I, I feel bad. Um, Nikki did a vocal, a lead vocal on one of the songs. Uh, Tommy Lee did a vo- lead vocal on one of the songs. I didn't really help um the two singles they released was afraid and beauty in my opinion they're just bad but they went to the, they were on the rock charts top 50 uh, and the song the album went gold i'm assuming on name recognition alone
1: right I, no, right now there's five hundred thousand people out there that are like why the hell did i buy this again
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so the song that we're gonna spin which was the best that I could find on this thing is called anybody out there and I will tell you the best part of this song is it's only a minute 50 long
1: and that's probably why I picked
2: it that's exactly why I picked it
1: all right let's spin this polish shit
2: See, I would have rather <laughs> heard "Smoke the Sky." <laughs> Smoke the Sky. Would've I would
1: have rather heard any track off of a <laughs> '94 than that hump of crap. I just okay. Let's not waste any more time talking about it because that that record sucked. And if you <laughs> and if you don't agree with us, well, I really don't care. Then you need to have your ears cleaned out. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I'll get hate mail now for sure on that one. I don't care. Yeah, there's a
2: lot of Motley fans out there.
1: Hey, and I'm one of them.
2: I like crew. Not that crew, though. That crew blows. I I don't like that crew. I like Too Fast for Love. Loved Shout of the Devil. Um, I thought Theater of Pain was okay. I thought Girls, Girls, Girls was okay. I thought Dr. Feelgood was the better out of Theater of Pain. Dude, don't be ranking Motley
1: crew records. That's another episode that we'll have to do at some point.
2: Really? We're gonna do that?
1: (laughs) You never know. Probably not. That's a little bit too cliche. I don't know. We'll see. If we can find if we can find a good spin to put on it, maybe we will.
2: Talking about upsetting all the crew fans, let's go to your last pick, because I think we're gonna upset every other fan that we have.
1: Dude, I'm gonna have to hire security guards and just everybody needs to hear me out on this. Let me speak my piece and then everybody can relax, okay? Just hear, don't hear the band name. Just hear what I got to say, okay? This is this is important stuff. I saved it for last because I knew it was going to become a complete and utter controversy. Um, and I wanted to make sure um, that I had my thoughts all in a row before I started talking. So, Okay, biggest record, biggest debut record of 87. I mean, when I say 87 and I say debut hard rock metal records, I mean, literally everybody who's a fan is going to say what? Appetite for Destruction, right?
2: 18 million copies sold.
1: Come on, exactly. I mean, Appetite for Destruction, virtually perfect. In every way, shape, and form. I mean, literally, that record is a masterpiece, iconic, absolute fantastic record. The
2: best album I own. Hands down. And I'm not a GNR super fan.
1: Yeah. So we all all pretty much agree to that. I mean, I wore out more than one cassette of this record. Okay. So there you go. So that's out in 87 and it doesn't break wide right away and they spend a boatload of time breaking this record and everybody knows the story. I don't need to cover it again. Um, but finally, um, after that record comes out, they get around to making the follow-up and they're so full of themselves right now uh, and the record label is probably blowing smoke right up their behinds, and they decide hey we're gonna put out not a double record but two records on the same day use your illusions one and two awesome what a great idea okay fine put out two records but here's my deal listen to either one of those records next to appetite for destruction that is not a good follow-up no matter what you say, that record is not a good follow-up. Now, here's what I think should have been done, and I think it would have been a reasonable follow-up. Um, nothing's ever going to compare to Appetite for Destruction, I don't think. I don't think they can repeat that. That's lightning in a bottle. It was perfect perfect record, perfect time, perfect ban. So, in my opinion, if they'd have gone down Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, They could have pulled enough reasonable songs together and put out one record of a combination of songs off of both of those records and made a pretty good follow-up. Still wouldn't have been, you know, still wouldn't have been Appetite 2, but it would have been a reasonable follow-up. To me, you got two records that have a bunch of hit and misses on it. I personally I'm not a huge fan of Civil War. I know like a lot of people love that song, but wasn't a wasn't a great song for me. Didn't really love that song. That was the first thing they put out on uh on on that re- on those two records, right? Civil War and then um uh You could be mine. You could be mine, I love.
2: Yeah, I uh I agree with you. I think the two albums could have been one and I thought it could have been 10 songs. The 10th one being the one you're going to spin. But I thought you could have just, in my opinion, you could have done Live and Let Die, Don't Cry, November Rain, Bad Apples, Civil War, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Get in the Ring, You Could Be Mine and Estranged, and then the song you're going to spin, and you got a great album. And supposedly this album took 20 months to record these two?
1: Yeah, because those guys were so – uh, Axel was in the height. I mean, I read some of the stuff. If you read, uh, if you read Slash's book and, and, uh, uh, Adler's book, I mean, they talk about it in there. They talk about the recording of, of these records and stuff and, and what was going on at the time. I mean, they were, they were, you know, drugged out and drinking and Axel was doing his, his, uh, craziness thing. And, uh, just, you know, <laughs> they didn't get it recorded, it took them forever to record it, which should be a no surprise for anybody's seeing how long it took for them to put out Chinese democracy. So there you go. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't, those wouldn't have been my choices for songs putting on there. I mean, I get it you're you're kind of a ballady person so i i get why you would want november rain and and um don't cry and things like that but i could do without all that crap i mean look at appetite appetite didn't really have any ballads on there the closest thing to a ballad was sweet child of mine and that was it so yeah so my two
2: favorite songs on appetite are
1: brownstone and rocket queen two two absolute um probably brownstone definitely one of my favorites um, Rocket Queen, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to pick, there's so many on there that I love, but it changes, but yeah, I'll of use your illusions one and two, I could have, I could have done uh, probably 10, 10, maybe 11 songs, um, and if I want it to be nice, I would throw in a Don't Cry or November Rain, I guess, but I could do without it, they're just such epic ballads, you know, I can, they just kind of put me to sleep, but that's it, so I'm going to pick an up-tempo song, um, and by all means, let me know how you feel. Uh, Hopefully, you hear what I'm saying, and you're not just freaking out because I'm, I'm, like said, Guns N' Roses follow-up to Appetite was uh, not so great, Uh, and you're not just freaking out about that. You're actually listening to what I'm saying, and and, uh, give me some constructive feedback instead of, you're fucking crazy, no pun intended. But anyway. (laughs) That was good. That was good. See there? I'm learning. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about Perfect Crime off of the Use Your Illusion 1 record, which was my favorite out of the two Use Your Illusions, by the way. But anyway, Perfect Crime, here you go.
2: a good tune guns and roses is kind of like what we're talking about sykes when they're on and they are on yeah man like there was parts of chinese democracy i absolutely loved and there was parts i'm like what the hell is that yeah perfect crime
1: two minutes and 24 seconds of pure aggression the way guns and roses is meant to be yes sir all right so dude we finally got through it we got through five shit bombs each true that was rough all right, to, to smoother times, you know what time it is.
0: It's time for your Kiss Storic Moment on Growing Up Rock.
2: Oh, yeah, Kiss Storic Moment. So, we wanted, we always want to tie in a Kiss thing to our topic. And so, when we're talking about, you know, great albums, maybe not followed by a not so great album, there are several times in Kiss history where you could probably put that there. And, you know, stuff that Fraley did later by himself and Chris did later by himself, and Vinny did later by himself. All of the branches of that tree has some of this in there. But we chose the height of the popularity, and we chose one of the big six, Love Gun. So June of 77, Kiss is on top of the world. They own the planet right now. With songs like I Stole Your Love, Shock Me, Love Gun. Love Gun was uh, one of the big six, and it just took them over the top. I mean, they, this is, you know, we're talking blood in comic books. We're talking all that stuff, right? All the crazy stuff that was happening. And then they did the solo album fiasco, which we can go to the story someday. And after the solo album fiasco, about two years after Love Gun, they decide to release Dynasty. And everybody's looking forward to the four guys getting back together after they've done their solo stuff. And it's going to be amazing. And then the first single day release, is I Was Made For Loving You. And I was only 10 at this time, but I can only imagine KISS Army fans just throwing the record players out the windows because (laughs) KISS released a disco song. And, you know, I'm not going to argue that it was disco-esque. That's for sure. Um, Still a good song. it's, It's a good song. And it's a catchy song. And then... Two songs later, Sure Know Something. I love that song, but it's, you know, it's kind of got that disco feel to it, too.
1: Maybe it was now, the only way that Gene Simmons could get into Donna Summers' pants.
2: Uh, that's possible, <laughs> you know. Um, but now, if you listen to the rest of the record, there's nine songs on there. If you forget about these two being disco esque and you listen to the rest of the record, the rest of the record is amazing. Amazing. This dynasty is actually one of my favorite Kiss records. That is not uh, consistent with the entire Kiss army, but I will tell you, as time has moved on, Dynasty and Unmasked have become more and more loved over time.
1: But but let's 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 put a disclaimer on this this conversation, right? Because we we talk about it all the time. You have a sentimental attachment to Dynasty. It was one of the first records you bought, right? So so I mean that that brings it into context, right? I mean, that's fair to say cuz
2: absolutely. And and we're always talking about the 3 years that separate us. If the first record you bought was Destroyer and the first record I bought was Dynasty, that's a lifetime for Kiss.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> right? I mean, that changes the whole world. Right? So the 3 years matter. That's just how it is. Yeah. And I do have a personal connection to Dynasty. Um so uh i i had an easy time picking a song off dynasty i could have literally picked anything i wanted to stay away from the singles so we i actually picked a frailey song so written by ace Fraley, sang by ace Fraley, and in my opinion one of the better vocals that ace Fraley delivers on anything ace has ever recorded and that song is called hard times love that you gotta love that song all right
1: all right all right
2: right the hard times yeah Yeah,
1: love it that's reasonable that's reasonable i I have to go back truthfully i have to go back and listen to dynasty because i haven't spent a whole lot of time with dynasty i did try to listen to unmasked again man you're not getting me on board with that (laughs) i don't like i don't like my kiss poppy i don't like my kiss poppy and cheesy oh man i love sorry I can't do it can't do it but I will go back and listen to to Dynasty because uh I didn't hate um uh I didn't hate everything that I heard off this record 2,000 man's on this record and um that song you just played was good so um maybe I can get through some of the rest of the stuff on the record I'll have to go back and listen to it but
2: oh yeah savior loves great that's another fraley song magic touch is one of paul's best songs probably um even the peter songs dirty living is awesome so it's a good album
1: all right i'll 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 go back and check it out for your sake and i'll let you know how <laughs> i feel about that so, <laughs> so there you go that's your historic moment uh so all right um let's uh let's let's wrap this thing up because it's getting late um uh, Samantha, tell these fond listeners uh, a little bit of information uh, uh, about our podcast.
0: Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it.
1: Yep, so everything she said and then also, um, you know, reach out to us. Let us know because uh, um, we're, we're looking for stories. So uh, next week's episode maybe will be based on what you guys are putting on the Facebook page um, or going to Growing Up Rock and uh, letting us know uh, what is your story. Uh, let's do a story with one of you guys. Uh, you tell us what our next uh, what our next theme is. You tell us what we need to talk about next. Uh, maybe we'll get you on the show, uh, and we can talk about some of your stories and some of your memories uh, that were centering around some band that uh, that we haven't talked about yet. So let us know. It's important to us, right?
2: Absolutely. And I just want to thank all the fans uh, for the support been around now for a little while and uh, just been getting some great comments and notes and encouragement. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, uh, and it's a cool little community and they've been really supportive too. So I just want to thank everybody.
1: Yeah, that's right. There's tons of great podcasts. We find new ones all the time that we like to listen to. Um, and, uh, so go out there and seek them. Um, just like we tell you to get out there and support live and recorded rock and roll music. We'll also tell you to get out there and support some of these podcasts that are out there, uh, because there's some great, great podcast, cool people doing cool things. That's what we like. Just music fans enjoying the cool music. All right. So that's about it. Right, Sonny? You got anything else for us? No, I am good.
2: It's your turn, by the
1: way. I know. Samantha, what time is it?
0: Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll.
1: All right. Shuffle,
2: rattle, and roll. Here we go.
1: All right, folks. Till next week. That's going to do it. This is Stephen Michael.
2: This is Sunny Hollywood Pooney. See you soon. Later, Gators. Bye. Bye. Happy people don't cheat. Happy people don't
3: Hold
1: a grudge, don't criticize. Happy people don't hate,
0: happy people don't steal. Cause all the hurt sure ain't worth all the guilt they'd feel. If you wanna love a secret, can't buy a gotta make it. You ain't ever gonna be it by taking someone else's take it for granted.
1: You don't have to understand
3: it. Here's to whatever puts a smile on your face. Whatever makes you happy,
1: people.
0: Happy people don't fail. Happy people just learn.